once we start like a limiting belief, which is typically in childhood, we tend to have it like solidified over the years. And so all of this came to the surface while I was processing grief and while I was going through all EMDR therapy. And so it was just these layers of starting to uncover it. Again, I don't like, have I seen plenty of people being able to uncover it without having a major loss? Absolutely. Like I don't wish that on anybody. And I can hold the juxtaposition emotions of I would give anything to have my dad back. And I am so grateful that it gave me myself back. Are you ready to take courageous steps to create a life and business you love? Welcome to the Courage Cast. I'm Andrea Crisp, an empowerment coach, author, and a multi-passionate entrepreneur. For years, I was afraid to allow myself to shine. That was until I discovered that I could step into my own power, shift my mindset, and take ownership of my destiny. Now I coach individuals across the globe who are ready to own their life and make a massive impact. With a blend of practical and spiritual advice, my hope is that the Courage Cast empowers you to take brave steps in your own life and business. Hey friend, welcome to the Courage Cast. My name is Andrea and I'm so glad you're here today joining me. We have a great episode in store for you today. I had an opportunity to chat with Dr. Megan Daly and Megan is such an incredible human and she has been through so much in her own life that she is going to share with us today. Now, this episode starts off, you know, just like every other episode, but all of a sudden it took a turn and we went super deep into a time in her life where she experienced the loss of her father. And in that grief, how she was able to really make a huge change in her life and how it is informed where she is right now, how she helps her clients, how she lives her own life. And I really believe that it is going to be an inspiration to you, not only in your life and in your business, but when it comes to your relationships and navigating those really hard times in life, whether it be the loss of a loved one or just something else that feels as deep as grief. So without further ado, I can't wait for you to hear my episode with Dr. Megan Daly. Megan, I'm so glad to have you on the Courage Cast today. I absolutely think you are such a fun person. And honestly, like just to be able to have this conversation with you, not only just because, you know, I can, but for the podcast, I'm really excited for the listeners to get to know you and hear part of your story. But I'm going to introduce you a little bit and then I'm going to get you to introduce you because we always introduce ourselves <laughs> way better anyways. So Dr. Megan Daly is a seasoned physical therapist, weightlifter, freedom catalyst, which I fucking love that you said that. <laughs> that is so amazing. Committed to helping others move from frustrated to fulfilled, operating more fully in their zone of strength. And I know that you've had some pivots in your own life as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm excited to chat about that. But I would love to know... Who are you? Like, who are you? 
I mean, that's just kind of like what you do, right? But who yeah. are you and who do you serve? Yeah. So first off, I I love the I love that question of just who are you? And I feel like it's a really quick way to understand how much someone really knows themselves because I feel like it's something that will go from your like most hated question that you get to like, yeah. ooh, cool. Like I actually know how to answer this. Yeah. So <laughs> that's so true, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So hi everyone. I am Dr. Megan Daly. I am a doctor of physical therapy turned mindset and burnout coach. So I actually shut down my clinic not that long ago. Um, so at this point, the only capacity in which I still practice as a DPT is I teach for a couple different companies in a doctoral program on the side, but my main gig is my business move on the daily and my podcast human on the daily. So I'm a podcast coach, a self-discovery journal author. And then I have a plethora of offerings from one-on-one to group where it is really diving into who you are, breaking out of the expectations of others and leaning more into your authentic self unapologetically. So everything Mm -hmm. from how to hold boundaries without guilt, which I think is something that a lot of us deal with, how to even see like what is conditioning, what is expectation versus what is actually ourselves. And then my newest offer that I am kind of in love with is a 180 in the, in 180 minutes. So it's the 180 that you need in life, no matter where you're at. And we do it. It's kind of like a launch pad. Um, So circling back to like, who am I? I'm able to pull this off in 180 minutes because everything about my personality is more launch pad style. Like I am, I'm someone who can quickly read between the lines and see exactly what it is you want. I'm also, so I call myself a freedom catalyst and a resource dealer. I'm really good at saying, (laughs) okay, what do you need? And what do you need right now to have that launch pad to get off and like just skyrocket towards where you want to go. So, and I really specialize in women in male dominated industries. I mean, I come from a healthcare background, a very strong healthcare background, meaning my parents were also in, they were physicians. So I deeply know what it's like to be a female and have the stories of, I have to work twice as hard as the men, or I'm I have these great ideas, but then a guy says it and suddenly it's listened to, or like all of those patterns. And I feel it's probably all females, but it's a little bit more prevalent when you are immersed in a male dominated uh, career. So healthcare, tech, finance, those kind of things. So that is who I serve as far as the 180s go. Mm -hmm. And then it's also kind of the same. My podcast and my journal are both targeted towards women and breaking out of expectations of others, leaning into your authenticity. And admittedly, um, it's been joked that I should uh, market them towards people with ADHD. I also have ADHD. So it is, it's, it kind of follows that like, Hey, I might go off on multiple different branches, but I promise I'll circle it back together. And it's just been really fun. So yeah, I am a mindset, like living authentically freak. Yeah. Like I love it. And, (laughs) um, fun things about me. I am obsessed with snowboarding to the point where I'm actually debating living somewhere cold, which is huge for me. Like I grew up in South Carolina, live in Arizona. Uh, I don't know what cold feels like outside of snowboarding, (laughs) but I am so (laughs) obsessed with it. Well, let me tell (laughs) you. And then I am big into dance. I'm an Enneagram seven. If anyone's into human design, I'm a five, two manifester. So everything about my personality is just visionary action taker and like quick action. 
Yeah. And I a lot of pivots. Totally tell you are a Enneagram seven. Just <laughs> by looking at your um your Instagram. I have yeah. <laughs> a really good friend, Alyssa, uh, and she's an Enneagram seven. And uh, I remember when, when I first like learned the Enneagram and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like this, this profile, this seven is amazing. Like she always is having fun. She's always looking for the next like adventure and things to do. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is amazing. I want to be like Alyssa. I want to be like Alyssa. And I'm a one on the Enneagram, which is mm. vastly different. However, yep. in my healthiest moments, I move to a seven. So I can always tell when I'm doing really well in my life in a general sense, because I'm having more fun. And so I'm healthier because I'm actively looking for fun things to do. I'm enjoying myself more. So I totally resonate. I'm like, and I have this like jealous thing streak of like, I want to be a seven. I look at all the things that you do. And then I'm like, I'm just actually tired looking at it. <laughs> I want to do it. I'm probably not going to do it, <laughs> but I do love the, the, the thought of doing it, but I love all the things that you said and how you have kind of really, you know, distilled down who you are and, you know, kind of said, this is like how I can help people. This is, you know, where I'm at in my own life. And even kind of like going into the ADD part of that and going, you know, like I can actively help somebody who has been diagnosed with ADD. I know I was telling my mom the other day, I was like, mom, I think you have undiagnosed ADHD, like adult ADHD. And she's like, what does that even mean? And the more I yeah, did they didn't research, really know her generation. No, my dad was actually an ADHD specialist, but he didn't become that until I was in high school. Really? I think he switched from pediatrics to ADHD specialist. And as he was studying and like learning everything, he realized, I mean, anyone else in the family could have told him like years prior, because I yeah. was diagnosed at the earliest age it can possibly be diagnosed. I have been yeah. tested multiple times throughout my life to make sure I still have it. Yeah. Um, and I would have been at would have put money on him having it, but he didn't discover it until he was an adult. Like the generation above us didn't really know that it existed. And even when I was growing up, the reason I got tested so much is they thought you just grew out of it. Oh yeah. Cause like almost like hyperactivity, right? Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. she'll, you know, 100% like the testing as soon as you turn 18 got incredibly intense because no insurance thought it was a valid diagnosis. Interesting. Yeah. Cause like even like just reading up on it, I was like, this is my mom to a T and I sent her like a couple of articles and she's like, yeah, I can see myself in this. And you know what? It actually made a lot more sense to me as her daughter growing up thinking, oh, this is why my childhood was like this. Yeah. It's like any of the personality things, like how many times, I mean, anyone who's looked into whether it's ADHD or even Enneagram or human design or heck, even, I mean, I think Enneagram and human design are probably a little bit more spot on at this point than Myers-Briggs, but the more you know about yourself and those around you, the more, I I guess empathy is probably a really good word for it. Like there's just an understanding. You're less likely to make assumptions assumptions and put expectations on other people. And then the flip side is the more you learn about yourself, not the flip side, I guess, but the more you learn about yourself, you can also play into, okay, where are my perceived weaknesses and how are those actually my strengths? So like for me with my ADHD, 
I grew up thinking it was a major weakness. I mean, I got it thrown in my face all the time. It's like, oh, you did this because of your ADHD or, oh, mm-hmm. you need to be on medication. And now I see it as a strength. I don't think without my ADHD, I would be able to help people make massive transformations Absolutely. in as something as short as 180 minutes. Like, yeah. And it's because my brain, like if you've ever dove into like why ADHD, like the actual neuroscience behind it, mm-hmm. so this is where my, my healthcare background, like I completely nerded out over this stuff. Yeah. Your neurotransmitters fire differently. And so my brain works at a speed in which I can problem solve that fast and get you the information you need that fast. And I don't think without ADHD, I'd be able to do that. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting to me because like, I was thinking about, like, I I think I was telling you before I was listening to your podcast before we jumped on today. And I was, you remind me a lot of my friend, Danny, she's a writer and she's, I don't know, you got the same vibe as she does. I would love for you to meet Danny. She's a world traveler. Sweet. She's a photographer and a, she's a writer. Anyway. Say less. I'm already game. Like she's, she's <laughs> like an amazing traveler. human. She'd be a great person actually to put on your podcast. Like, okay, sweet. yeah, yeah I'll, I'll actually, definitely. I'll connect you. Cause like, okay. uh, I feel this energy already. Anyways. Um, now I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Back to that. Okay. So, um, oh yeah. I was listening to your podcast and I was like, oh, she's got this like big, full energy. And then I thought to myself about my podcast and you go listen to mine. Mine's very like low key. Immediately I start talking a little slower and everything kind of just is deeper. It not And not deeper in a, you know, better, worse way, but just it's kind of like I hold this space and it's a little bit more soft and, you know, different sound, right? Yeah, and different, I'm, but also very yeah. needed. Exactly. But it's one of those things where sometimes I think we can get into this comparison mode of like, oh, I just want to be out of the gate, like so fun and vibrant and, you know, uh, present as what you are presenting as. And then I remember, oh, yeah, but this is me. And so, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Like we have these expectations of, of who we think. And there's part of me that does. But at the core of me, I'm maybe not. So I'm going to sometimes, but I'm not going to all the time. Love to talk about like, what is the difference between your expectation and conditioning of who we are? Yeah. So I want to circle back because I think this is such a great example of how we can kind of get in our own way when we place expectations on ourselves or play the comparison game. Mm-hmm. because I listen to someone who's able to slow down. It's it's probably my biggest feedback. So again, I teach in a couple different programs. And I so I've been on stages in some way, shape or form for a couple of years now. And more recently, I've started to get into speaking engagements. But as a as a professor, as an associate or an adjunct faculty at these programs, I'm constantly told like, hey, you need to slow down. Hey, you need to speak in a more even tone. And that's like the feedback I'm getting because people are putting an expectation on me, but I actually get the biggest uh, like feedback and the biggest engagement from the students when I am just myself. And mm-hmm. the reverse is true for you. If you tried to present in the way that I do, it wouldn't feel authentic to you. Your right. energy would feel off. Yeah. And so then people wouldn't be as gravitated towards it because, and that just goes to like, be your authentic self. Like I fully, fully believe, I cannot remember. It's a famous quote, but I'm terrible at remembering names. It's the one of like, what the world needs is more people who have come fully alive. 
Yeah. Because the ripple effect cannot be understated there. So circling back to your actual question, expectations versus conditioning. And I think there's a lot there. So for starters, expectations are really more the basis of like an anticipation or an ex- or an assumption that we have placed on what this person or what society is expecting of me. And mm-hmm. 100% that is, there is an overlap for starters too. So like societal conditioning and then the expectations that we place on ourselves or that mm-hmm. we think others are placing on us, there is an overlap. Typically expectations are, or supposed expectations are based on the conditioning. Conditioning is more of, it's the state of something. So the state of the family environment that you grow in, up in, the state of the society that you're immersed in. Uh, the state now is a little bit different with social media. I can't even imagine kids growing up and having the conditioning that comes from social media added as another layer to that. And so for, I'll just use myself, for example, I was around, I was like late 20s, about to turn 30, when I realized that I had built a lot of my life based on expectations of others. And that was more expectations versus me and my personality and how I showed up. Yeah. Some of it was expectations. Like I I dimmed myself a little bit, but a lot of that was actually conditioning because I was conditioned to be more like the one. So if we're circling back to the Enneagram, I came from a very, my my parents were incredibly high achieving adults and a lot of pressure was put on me as a kid growing up. So the family conditioning was bury your head down, work hard, relationships almost don't matter, like achievements matter most. Mm -hmm. Society kind of backed that up at the time too. So there's a lot of conditioning there. And so then that turned into an expectation of, oh, okay, I need to get the A. The expectation was I need to make good grades. I need to have high achievements. The conditioning turned into being almost robotic. Does that make sense? So yeah. it's almost like the personality versus where your focus is and how you act, like yeah. what you're going for. Mm-hmm. That's like they play hand in hand and there is a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. But I think especially once you start to undo all of it, you can get rid of a decent amount of the conditioning. Recognize that it's going to take a while. So if you have 20 plus years of conditioning, it's not going to be at the flip of a switch. Like it's going to take a while. You're going to fall back into old patterns. You're going to have to recognize what, when that comes up and then do the work to get out of it. Expectations. So even now I'll find myself of maybe it's like when I go to try to switch into teaching mode and I then I'm like, okay, I'm expected to show up in this way. And so I tweak a little bit and then so now I'm at a point where I can kind of catch it, mm-hmm. but that's not so much the conditioning that's in how am I expected to show up? Or a lot of times, this is more on a micro level. We'll do it when we are trying to reach out to someone about hanging out. Like, why do we say, Hey, I know you're busy or Hey, like, I think you would like to do this. Why stop making an assumption? Just be like, Hey, this is what I would like to do. Are you game? Yeah. Let them say yes or no. Let them respond how they want. Stop putting an expectation on them, even in your request or stop. Mm -hmm. This is totally kind of a side note, but like grief is another good one where show up how feels, however feels most authentic to you. Stop putting an expectation on the person that you want to support. So I think we talked about this, you and I on like a separate conversation Mm -hmm. 
But after my dad died, the number of people who either disappeared and I found out later it's because they put an expectation on me that I that I would be overwhelmed if they showed up for me or if I, they reached out. Mm-hmm. Some of them it was because they didn't know what to do. Um, right. So they had an expectation on themselves to show up in a certain way and they didn't think that they could do it. So they just didn't show up. Yeah. So both of those are examples on expectations placed on themselves or placed on me that created more of a a gap and more of a loneliness on my side. Like I didn't feel as supported simply because of expectations versus if you strip those away, we probably wouldn't have had an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how we, we like, we fall into so many assumptions of what the other person needs mm-hmm. without communicating or asking like, what do you need? Like, yeah. And even for ourselves, similarly, it's the same thing. When you're talking about the the conditioning and uh, about how it takes time, I have been thinking about a lot about this, about the timing of things, right? We're in this instant culture. Everything's got to be like so fast. And I even just was saying today how when we're doing any kind of mindset work, what is in our current reality is actually an old paradigm. It's an old mm-hmm. in our current It's reality. so much of what I work with people on. Yeah. Like and then almost we everyone shift. gets the limiting beliefs worksheet that I've created. Yeah. And the limiting beliefs almost always come from conditioning or expectations that have been placed on them. Yeah. And I was even thinking like, so I, I grew up in a very religious upbringing. I was a pastor for many years. And um, and now I have to say in my or- family of origin, like my parents are great, like with as far as the religious part of it. But the religious part of it was very, very strong for me. And so when I am now in this place of like unpacking all sorts of things in my own life, there's always these like conditioning things. And I'm like, oh, that's that again. You know, it's resurfacing or coming up in a new way or reminding me of this. And and sometimes yeah. it does take us time, even when we are doing the work, to go down the layers and be like, okay, yeah, now I can deal with this. It's like you always and hear about people s- t- saying like taking off the masks. Your conditioning are the mask. And it's probably not just one. So it's like once you undo one, <laughs> it's these like layers that you right. have to undo as you dig deeper and deeper. Yeah. Yeah. When, for you, how did that come about? So like, I'm sure it wasn't like all just magically like, oh, okay. No. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. That would have been, I, I'll preface this with, so I wish that no one else has to have the realization in the way that I did. I, so mine was through my twenties. I was hustling really hard. I had, I didn't realize like, you don't know what you don't know. So I don't, I didn't realize how deep I was into my entire life and my entire being based on expectations and conditioning. So I got my doctorate. I was working for a clinic, working insane hours. Um, and my dad got diagnosed with cancer and it, this goes back to like me being a quick action taker and just, it's my personality. I immediately told my company, I was like, Hey, I'm filed for FMLA, do whatever you want, but I'm gone. And it's up to you. Like if I have a job when I get back, great. But like, I don't know, I don't have an idea of how long this is going to be, but my father, my parents at the time lived across the country. Mm-hmm. So I went back to South Carolina 
I actually initially flew back and forth to try to like make it work to at least have some money. So I would work for two weeks and then fly across the country, be a caregiver for two weeks and go back and forth. And in the process, so anyone who's listening who has gone hard for a really long time, so almost, not almost, I wasn't a sympathetic fight or flight response the vast majority of my life. Mm-hmm. Like I had, I had pushed myself in the conditioning. It kind of pushed me to that point. This is without diving into like my past traumas. But so this slammed me enough between, it really didn't hit me until after he passed and about three months after he passed. Cause there is that like surreal period of time after you lose a parent. And so it was five months, five months from getting the phone call to him passing and then I stayed for a couple months and just to help my mom out around the house. Now, in hindsight, some of that was to help me, aka not have to face the reality of what just happened. I kind of threw myself into work, just not work in the traditional sense. Mm-hmm. And so I came back to Arizona three months later and it all hit me like a ton of bricks to the point where I could not function at the level that I had been before. My nervous system took such a dive Mm-hmm. that I could not, like, I, I just didn't have the same productivity or the speed, all these things. And that's where I started to realize I had tied my productivity to my worth to the point where my self-worth and my self-confidence took a huge hit in mm-hmm. the process of, the, of this. So obviously this is a very long story, relatively short. So the next year or so going through EMDR therapy, I yes, I worked through the grief, but as I was working through the grief, I uncovered a lot of like old patterns and reasons why I had become the person I was. And it was everything from conditioning to expectations that had been placed on me as a kid, like all of these limiting beliefs and all these stories that I had created mm-hmm. over the years. And then whatever we're looking for, we tend to find. So when once we start like a limiting belief, which is typically in childhood, we tend to have it like solidified over the years. And so all of this came to the surface while I was processing grief and while I was going through all EMDR therapy. And so it was just these layers of starting to uncover it. Again, I don't like, have I seen plenty of people being able to uncover it without having a major loss? Absolutely. Like I don't wish that on anybody. Mm-hmm. And I can hold the juxtapositioning emotions of, I would give anything to have my dad back. And I am so grateful that it gave me myself back. Mm, Yes. Yeah. And, and that, that process of, of loss and grief, um, you know, is something that I, until you go through it, you don't really know. You have no idea. You can think you do because, but it really, there's a book that I really love recommending to people and I wish more people would read it before something bad happens. And it's called, there's no good card for this because it gives like, you still won't understand what it really deeply feels like, but you'll have a better idea of how to support someone. And you'll also gain a better idea that you really don't actually have an idea. Mm-hmm. I, I can still see that it affects you now. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, I don't think that goes away based on, I've had a couple friends lose parents mm-hmm. far before me. And I remember I was at the year mark or around 
yeah, somewhere around the year mark. And I remember talking to one of my friends and being like, I can't understand, like, why can't I just function again? Why am I not back to how I was before? Why can't I do all the things? Why, Mm -hmm. what's taking me so long? And she's like, Megan, it's only been a year. She's like, I'm at year 10 and it still hits me. Like, and it's the difference of someone who had lost a parent or gone through a major loss had that kind of reaction to me. Someone who hadn't, I had multiple people after month three be like, hey, what's wrong with you? And some of that is because it speaks to, we never know what's going on in someone else's lives. And even if we do, it's really easy for it to not be top of our mind. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you if a friend is going through a really hard time and you kind of keep forgetting about it. Yeah. Yeah. I I have um, a friend, a good friend who passed away last week. She's in her Mm. 50s and uh, her kids were students of mine, all three of them. And Mm. so they're in their 30s and uh, they, a majority of them live in Austin but one of them still lives in Memphis, which is where I met them. And I've been thinking a lot. I've not lost either of my parents. Um, and they're in relatively good health. So thank goodness, you know, for that. They, um, I live with them. They, we probably want to kill each other. I'm surprised none <laughs> of us are actually dead. But, <laughs> but we're all still alive. So, um, but it's in, I was thinking about that the other day and thinking such a difference between the age I am at and how I also am looking at the future and how as I get older I'm looking at the future without my parents and seeing that versus being at an age where you're younger and seeing so much without them yeah um how that actually that? speaks to it. it hits me harder right now because I have a wedding coming up in the next year mm-hmm. and it is so I was the little girl I never really dreamed up my wedding like I wasn't like creating a Barbie wedding or anything like that I didn't have like oh this is what I want it to be like every now and then sure but nothing major and it never it was always different very Enneagram mm-hmm. 7. <laughs> the one thing that stayed consistent that I was the most excited for was the daddy daughter dance. Mm. Um, it's actually the first thing I asked my fiance. I was like, is your mom going to be okay if we skip that entirely? Because I cannot handle it. Yeah. And I will also say, so my college best friend lost her dad. I was with her when her dad passed like five or six years prior to mine. So she's around, I think she's around the 11 year mark. And she was actually the one that gave me a a heads up like years ago. She was like, by the way, like those big milestones, like just give yourself a lot of grace around them. Because when her daughter was born, that was her first thought was about her dad. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where I'll say for anyone listening, like you can hear that I'm getting emotional and this doesn't happen that often unless I talk about very specific things anymore. Yeah. The first year or two, Oh, it feels like a riptide's pulled you under. Mm-hmm. Now it's just the occasional wave and I can handle it. Mm-hmm. And speaking to what you talked about, or you mentioned as far as envisioning your life and knowing that at some point your parents won't be in it. When we go through a loss and this goes, it kind of circles back to the expectations we place on ourselves. 
don't expect it to just be the grief of the person you lost. It is the grief of who you were with them, who you're going to have to be without them, not having the relationship you thought you were going to have with them. There's so many layers to the grief and it's not just the one losing the person. And you don't have to go through a major loss to have that grief. Anytime, I mean, I went through a grief period. It looked very different than this one. Mm-hmm. But I went through grief when I made the pivot. Heck, I made I, any pivot I've made. Go moving from I actually have a math degree. I was a math major in computer science and engineering nerd in college. Pivoted to physical therapy. I had to let go and grieve part of my identity with that when I left clinic. And I went through a large piece of letting go of that piece of my identity that I didn't even realize I had held on to so much of like, oh, I am a doctor of physical therapy. Oh, Mm -hmm. now how do I introduce myself? I had to grieve the career that I thought I I was going to have. Mm -hmm. And I had to grieve who I was with that title versus like, I still have the title, but hopefully that makes sense where it's like I had to grieve who I was going to be, who I thought I was going to be. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense because when I left full-time ministry and I had been a pastor for so long, even though I thought to myself, oh, I don't place that much on it, I really did because people saw me mm-hmm. a certain way. There's something about yeah, people doctors, probably put lawyers, more expectations pastors. on you. Yeah. Yeah. They just assume that automatically you know something or mm-hmm. you can help them uh, and, or that you're in this position of a, of authority or leadership spiritually. And, and I, I don't, I don't know that I always operated in that fully to what I, what people expected of me, you know, talking about that, but when it was gone, it mm-hmm. was, oh, well, who am I? Like, how do people see me? How do I see me? I don't even mm-hmm. know how I see me anymore. And, and also like even the loss of like, you know, my family, like, well, you were this, and now you're not that. And mm-hmm. they have to adjust their expectations around who you are becoming. There is mm-hmm. so much that we are adjusting to when it comes to loss of identity, loss of people. And I, I love that you're you're opening this up because it really does make me think about how our relationships with other people, because if we're having those deep connections with other people, family or otherwise, it really is about allowing people to evolve and expand mm-hmm. and be on the journey with them, knowing that we don't have to help them course correct all the time. <laughs> They're just there. They yeah. just get, you know, because I've noticed as my dad and my mom have gotten older and it, really through the pandemic, I noticed how that facet accelerated for them. Uh, there'll be times where things will, they'll say things or do things. I'm like, oh, it's a lot slower than it used to be. Or Maybe my dad's not remembering things or he he'll admit to his fear around my future and wondering if I'm going to be okay. Like he'll say, you know, you're not married. You don't have a house, you know, like all those things. Which speaks a lot to his conditioning and his expectations. And his own, you know, and I'm like, dad, it's going to be all right. I'm going to be okay. You know, like, but it's just all of these things where it's kind of like you see how people are shifting and changing. And, Mm -hmm. and my own, like also expectation of like my dad being the same person I knew forever and ever and ever, you know, is different because I, we're changing roles and there's a lot of things where I'm now taking care of him versus him taking care of me. And there's a lot, I mean, my dad, my dad walks by me 
Like, I can't tell you how many times and hands me a $20 bill. Like, I never <laughs> say no. I'm like, thank you very much. <laughs> because hey, yeah, it's, something, in abundance. Let's go. it's uh, something he's done for like my whole life, yeah. you know, like, and, but it's one of those things where it's like, at the same time, there are little things I do for him that help him. And mm-hmm. are, you know, but they're, they're changing those roles and those expectations. So not only is that expectation we have uh, of ourselves, but of other people as well. So this was definitely not where I thought we were going to go with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. No, but I'm I so glad we did. Yeah. <laughs> the The thing that came up when you were talking was... The idea of 100, like kind of check yourself, like listen to that little voice in your head and see where, because once you start listening to it, you'll realize how often we are putting an expectation on someone else or ourselves. Yeah. Both are very common. And while we can't, so we can't do anything to control someone else's conditioning or expectations, but we can work on our own. Mm -hmm. And so starting like first, the first step is recognizing where we do it to ourselves. Because I think just very much like you said, where when you started to leave ministry, you didn't realize how much you had tied your identity to it. So that's something that I actually work with every single client that I have. I work with, okay, where do we have your identity tied into some title productivity or some other aspect? Because no matter what, that is going to limit you. It's going to, if you've heard of um, the book, The Big Leap, it's Mm -hmm. going to place an upper limit on you if you don't untie those two, you can be proud of that productivity. You can be proud of that title or that achievement or whatever it is, Yeah. but it cannot be tied to your identity because it is not who you are. You are still a whole human being with that being separated. Yes. And when you show up in the world authentically as all of you, you're actually less likely for people to, for the right people, like the right people won't push back as you pivot and change. There will always be part of society that does. You will, chances are with any big pivot as you grow, like there will be people that aren't meant to go with you into that next phase. And there's, there's also a grief process with that. Mm-hmm. And, but it, it's one of these beautiful things that the more you lean into your authenticity, I promise you, the better you are going to feel and the right people are going to be around you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with that more. And that has, that has been very true of me for me in my life. And I've, I think as I've also moved so many times as an adult. And then when I started shifting out of like my former careers as a teacher and then a pastor, especially the pastor position, um, I lost a lot of friends and now I, I can't say that they wouldn't, you know, still consider me a friend, but mm-hmm. we definitely don't talk anymore. They don't reach out you know, they were yeah, it's different. seasons, you know, there's seasons where they were the people in my life and are no longer the people. And there was a big grieving process for me in that and letting go because I was not only was I letting go of that, but I was letting the people were also not there either. And my, my parents didn't even really fully understand what I was going through. So, you know, just even that understanding that I was going to eventually meet other people who knew this new season. And I've been so fortunate to have met so many, so many people like 
probably more than I even expected I would ever meet. But I remember the thought that I had was like, wow, like my whole community is changing right now. And is this ever going to be the same? And no, it's not the same, but it is, it is still as vibrant and beautiful, just looks very different. And I, I like, I think about, you know, having conversations with you, even our very first conversation, it's like, oh, there's an instantaneous connection and how beautiful that is. Whereas I could have looked back five years ago and and thought, oh, that'll never happen. I'll never meet other people on Mm -hmm. my wavelength. Like, oh yeah. When I I used to have that thought all the time, particularly when it came to females, like it took me a lot to, I remember the first, there's a conference called powerhouse women that the first one I went to, we had to work through like, what's our biggest like fear. And Mm -hmm. one of mine at the time, I was completely bought into the belief that I am just not meant to have close female friends. I cannot connect with other women. I'm just a guy's girl. And that is so untrue Yeah. now. But I mean, I was, I, again, my concept of time is terrible. So I don't know, 30, I think 30 when I went to the first one. Mm-hmm. And now like my inner circle is almost exclusively female mm-hmm. and I can readily connect with you and other amazing women that I have met. And that, I don't think that wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago because I was too in my head. I put an expectation on myself actually I put an expectation on any other female that I met that they wouldn't connect or like me. And therefore I showed up differently. And so, no, I, I didn't have those connections with women then. Yeah. I I think I probably do that with the connections with men and dating. So maybe I should take your advice. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Hmm, that sounds like maybe she's giving that's, me I definitely know some people that do that with dating. Like we all have that friend. That's an amazing human. And then when it comes to dating, it's like, why, why are you showing up as a different person? What's happening? Yeah. Or not even. No, I'm not saying up. that that's what you're doing, but I or, definitely know those people. Yeah. Or not showing up. Like yeah. that, that's a whole thing too, you know? And I think to myself, I'm like, you know, what, what's the deal with that? Um, but that's probably a whole other episode, podcast episode <laughs> that we can unpack there. So <laughs> we'll leave that be. I'm sure people that are listening are be like, oh, Andrea, if you just get, get it together, they've probably heard this thousand different times, but, um, I, yeah, but so... everyone has something that they've heard 5,000 oh. times. And then yes. like, it's, we need to have the light bulb click for ourselves. No exactly. one else can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually was uh, a good friend of mine was on the podcast yesterday and she was um, uh, talking about relationships and how, you know, the evolution of different relationships in her life. And I was like, oh, like things are going so well for you. I'm so excited. And I got off that afterwards and I thought, oh, gee, Andrea, like, why can't you get that together? Why can't you get that part of your life together? And uh, expectation. Yep. You know, and I, w- I was like, oh, it's the little things like that. As soon as yeah. you think it, catch it. Yeah. And then it, it will take time to work through. Okay. Then what do I do with that? So yes, like one of the things that I have people go through is basically taking whatever that thought is and rewriting it and showing yourself the proof that it's not true. Like looking yeah. into your past. And if you don't have anything, still rewrite it because we are, honestly, we are what we think. Like there's a lot to be said for if you ha- start having those thoughts and be like, no, actually this is possible for me. And just like kind of feel into that and create the proof for yourself. You're good, Megan. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad that we had this chat. I'm so like, just even to have this time with you and to hear, you know, your own story and how life has, you know, impacted you and how you are impacting others through what you've gone through yourself 
is so amazing. How can people connect with you and how can they work with you? Love that. And first off, it's always amazing to chat with you. Like I, I think for those that are listening, I think we've first booked like a 15 minute connection call Gosh, the yeah. first time we chatted <laughs> and then like an hour later, we we're like, Oh, we, we should go get work done. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Um, I am very active in my Instagram DMs. So as far as chatting with me, shooting me any questions, that's probably the easiest. So I am move on the daily. Daily is spelled like my last name. So D-A-L-E-Y. And then even if you just, the links are on that page, but how you can work with me, move on the daily.com slash 180 is my like flagship offer where it's that 180 that you need in life in 180 minutes flat. I'm mm-hmm. super stoked for those. And then yeah, DM me on Instagram for anything else. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. But before we go, I want to ask you one final question. Okay. What is the next brave step you need to take in your life? Ooh, next brave step that I need to take in my life. There's several. Um, <laughs> so I actually, I'm about to embark on bus life. So the courage to just really be confident in that, because I'm well aware of the fact that I'm going to have to learn how to be like a bus mechanic in the process of this. Yeah. <laughs> and the other one is really, this sounds so like, fluffy, but stepping into the next version of me. I think that's always such a scary thing. And it's legitimately what I coach people on and it doesn't make it less scary for me Yeah, to do myself. Yeah. I love that. And I, I'm, I'm going to love watching your journey into bus life because that's going to be so fun. Is it like a van, like a, or it's a shuttle a bus. It's a shuttle bus. And is, are you totally yeah. redoing the shuttle bus? It's like- almost done. I'm literally, I just need to install the mini split. I'm going to lose a, there we go. I need to install the mini split and the dining set is built. It just needs to be installed and I need to finish tiling the shower. I say I, my fiance is actually helping a ton, but. Wow. And then are you both like hitting the road? Is that how this Mm -hmm. is working? There's a queen size bed in the back already. Wow. Okay. And then are you traveling everywhere or are you going to just live like? Yeah. So we'll mostly stay West for now just because we're in Phoenix. I mentioned the snowboarding earlier. I yeah. have a friend that lives in Mammoth that says we have a parking spot for the winter. So yeah, um, it'll be different than a lot of people's bus life because he's a competitive CrossFitter and a nutrition coach. So I have a Wi-Fi booster in the bus, but we will need to be close enough to a city for him to go to gyms. So yeah. it won't be like we're boondocking on BLM land the whole time. Um, it'll be kind of a, a mix, a decent amount of city and camping. Yes, because he needs a CrossFit gym. And I know that you are also an avid uh, person who works out and exercises and does adventuring. Like, (laughs) so. Yeah, I need trails nearby and I do need like barbells nearby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, if anything you've seen on your Instagram, that's those are the things. Well, this is very exciting. I'm so like stoked to watch this unfold. I was like, I was watching people in their vans. And they had these dogs and I thought to myself, I could do this. I could live in a van with my dog and travel. And then I think to myself, I don't know who you're kidding, but (laughs) it's a dream. (laughs) You never know. Maybe an Airbnb. It's a very, it's on brand for Enneagram 7, that's for sure. Is it really? Oh, it must be. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then now that you're saying that, then for me, it's like in my healthiest version of me 
that would be what I do. But I think, you know, what I would like to do is instead of like owning it and I see people doing it for a year, I think that would be something I'd want to do for like three months. Yeah. Like for me. There's plenty of people actually yeah. that do get the buses and then rent them part of the year and then use them themselves part of the year. Yeah. Like I could, I think I could do that because then I'd be like, okay, I see there's the, the finish line. And then if I really loved yeah. it, then I would be like, okay, maybe I could do this. I'm my dog would love it. She, she <laughs> yeah. would love it. So she's an adventurer too. She could go on the trails with you. <laughs> there you go. My dog can't funny enough. I have a dog that does not hike. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, okay. You can take coffee anytime you want to take her. <laughs> she absolutely, we, we walk the trails every single day and she loves it. And she's so good. She stays pretty close to me and doesn't, you know, venture too, too far away, but, um, oh, she can't wait. She, the whole way to the trails, if I'm in the car, she's just looking out the window and almost starts crying. She can't wait to get there and let me out of the car. I need to get there. That's so. exciting. Yeah. My yeah. dog is like that. And then we get there and he's like, and I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> is he older though? He's 11. He's an 11 year old Corgi. Okay. So I have like a two year old rescue uh, yeah. who's like a shepherd Corso um, pit bull. So yep. okay. she, she wants to be in, in the, in the bush running around. So yeah. <laughs> anytime you want to take her, Megan, you got her. All right. <laughs> Thanks for being here. appreciate it. Thank and um, we'll talk soon. I think one of the reasons why I love this space so much is the incredible humans that I get to meet on a regular basis. And from the moment I had a conversation with Megan, which was several months ago, I just really knew that we were kind of like kindred spirits and that there was something that she has that I'm energetically attracted to. And I just love that about being in relationship with other people who elevate you and help you to see a different perspective and shift out of that old way of being, that old conditioning that you might find yourself in. So I want to thank Megan for coming onto the show, for sharing her story, but also sharing her wisdom with us. And friend, if we have not connected already. I would love to connect with you over on Instagram. You can find me at, at Andrea Crisp Coach or at the Dot Courage Cast. And I would love for you to come and join us for our weekly conversation. And it is a free community call where you can connect with other like minded women. And you never know, you might find someone in there that you become business besties with or is your kindred spirit. And we meet Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Feel free to jump in whenever you can. I will leave the link in the show notes. But friend, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Until next time, remember, you have everything you need to live bravely. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review. And while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crelly.